Come on, if you believe that, lift up a shout of praise. You are so good to us, Father. You are so good to us. And it is an honor and a privilege to stand in this place with my brothers and sisters as your sons and daughters to declare the faithfulness and the goodness of our Father. You have been so good to us, God. And we love you so much. God, I pray in this moment that you would just open up the hearts of your people. God, to receive all that you have for us. But even more than that, God, I pray that you were pleased with the praises of your people, Lord, that the worship that rose from this place, from our hearts and our lives today, were a pleasing aroma in your nostrils, God. Oh, you are so good. You are so, so good to us. Lord, your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people. So you are here right now. You are seated and throned upon the praises of your people. And so God, I ask right now that you would do what you came to do. You're here to set free, you're here to save, you're here to hear, heal and deliver. So God, we give you permission to do what only you can do. Lord, we honor you with our lives today. We give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise that is due to your name because you are the only one worthy of it. In Jesus' name we pray, all God's people said, amen, amen and amen. Give a few people a fist bump on your way to your seat. So good to be with you guys. Wow, what a powerful time in God's presence. For those of you that are here for the first time, my name is Pete. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here, and it's just great to be with you. To my church family tuning in online right now, hope you're doing well. Pray for you every day. Can't wait to see you back here in person. Before I get into the message today, I just want to give honor where honor is due and give a shout out to Pastor Beth Miller, who preached a phenomenal message last week on Mother's Day. Can we give her some love? Man, what a powerful message. You are not enough. Not a typical Mother's Day message, but we learned that in our insufficiency, it highlights the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. If you missed that message, trust me, you're gonna wanna catch up and watch it on our YouTube channel. But we are starting a brand new series today. If you're newer to church, generally what we like to do is spend three to six weeks on a specific topic or a specific Bible character or a book of the Bible and really just kind of pause for a while and really unpack and see what God's word has to say about what that topic applies to our lives. And today we're starting a series called Money God's Way, learning how to handle money God's way, an issue that affects every single one of our lives. And I find, you know, that so many Christians struggle unnecessarily when it comes to finances because Honestly, they just don't know what God's word has to say about how they should handle their finances. And I don't know that it's entirely their fault that they don't know what God's word has to say about it because I find that there are a lot of churches and a lot of pastors that are afraid to talk about it because of how awkward and uncomfortable it is. And it's awkward for pastors to talk about it because of the way people in the audience respond and react when they hear the pastor say, today we're gonna talk about money. Inevitably, whenever I say that, I can see faces and people in the auditorium that turn to their spouse and they're like, ooh, 
should we go? You know I can see you, right? Be back in four weeks when this series is over. (laughs) But we should never feel awkward about anything that the Bible says because God's word is true, it is eternal, it is a guide for our lives. We should never avoid anything the Bible says even if it makes us uncomfortable. I would say especially if it makes us uncomfortable, we should lean even more into discovering what God's word has to say about it. You know, the Bible mentions the topic of money and possessions over 2,000 times. 2,000 times throughout scripture, money and possessions is talked about. Why is that? Is God obsessed with money? Is he just obsessed with money and possessions? Well, let me put it to you this way. Those of you who are parents, think back to when your first child was born. You thought your child was perfect in every way. Until they reached about 18 months old when something happened and you realized that every child is a wretched sinner. The first time you tried to take something from them or a sibling tried to take something from them that they were playing with, what do they do? Mine, mine. The first sign of a sinful nature in almost every human being is the sin of selfishness. And so the reason the Bible mentions money and possessions over 2000 times is because he knows that money and possessions is the number one competition for our heart. God's after our heart, this is a heart issue. That's why it's talked about so often in scripture. So I wanna share a message with you today titled Dollars and Cents. It's gonna be an extremely practical message that will show you what God's word has to say about handling money his way. Now for some of you, today's message will be very basic and just a great reminder of truths that you already believe and are trying to walk in. And yet for others of you here today, I recognize that this may be the very first time in your life when you've heard any biblical wisdom about how to handle money God's way. It's amazing to me how we can spend so much of our lives, in the early part of our lives especially, in school learning about the Ming Dynasty and the Pythagorean theory and the periodic table of elements and all of this useless information that I don't know I've used even one time in my life, and yet they don't teach people how to really handle finances. Some people grow up and earn dollars. That's the goal for a lot of people, right? I wanna earn money. They earn dollars, but they never gain cents. Dollars and cents, the name of today's message. There are some symptoms of handling money the world's way that you can usually recognize with people. First symptom is that most people will suffer from a disease called stuffitis where they spend money they don't have to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't even like. (laughs) Stuffitis. Another symptom of handling money the world's way is just people being stressed out about bills, living paycheck to paycheck, little to no money and savings, just stressed to the max. It's a known fact that financial pressure and stress is one of the key contributing factors to divorce in America today. Another symptom is people drowning in debt, just buying stuff that they don't have money for to fulfill that need for instant gratification, but being just overwhelmed in a sea of debt. And then another symptom of handling money the world's way is when giving becomes an afterthought, whether it's giving to the church or to charity or to other people, people say, well, I'll give more when I get my finances in order. I'll give more when I make more. I'll give more when I pay this thing off. And the truth is they never wind up giving more because they never get their finances in order because they never learn what God's word has to say about how to handle finances his way. 
They just keep doing things the way they've always done them, the way the world tells them they're supposed to do it. But Proverbs 29, 18 says that when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. And some of you here today, your, your finances are running wild. Your credit card balances are running wild. Your spending is running wild. And maybe it's because you've not accepted God's divine guidance. How many of you here today would be honest and say, you know what, I want better than that. I wanna learn how to handle money God's way today. Whether you want to or not, you're gonna learn how to. Because about two hands went up when I asked that. If you handle money like most people, you'll end up like most people. Indebted, discontent, discouraged, and ultimately in despair. But if you handle money God's way, he offers you something so much better freedom and blessing and peace and joy. God's word is filled with wisdom about how to handle money. You know, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven or hell. It's no coincidence that the book of Proverbs, which is known as the book of wisdom, was written by a guy named Solomon, who is considered by most scholars to be the wisest man who ever lived and the richest man who ever lived. It's no coincidence that He was the wisest and the richest. I mean, if you account for inflation, Solomon in his day would be richer than Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk in our day. Yet another reason to really wanna dig into and learn what God's word has to say about finances so we can gain godly wisdom. Because you can't have good finances without a good plan. I'm sure most of you heard the saying before that if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And God's word would agree. In Proverbs 21.5, it says, good planning and hard work. Those are the two things that it requires that lead to prosperity. But hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Good work, good planning, and hard work. But some of you are thinking, man, if I could just hit the jackpot, what's the mega millions up to? I'm going to play my lucky numbers. Man, if I could just, you know be one of those people that receives this unknown inheritance from a long lost uncle, my money problems would go away, I'd be set. Sorry to tell you that no, you wouldn't. Even if you received a large sum of money tomorrow, unless you learn how to handle money God's way, more money will just magnify your money problems. So many lottery winners, how many times have you heard of the story, this guy won a million dollars, five million dollars, you know, Sports players who earn these multi-million dollar contracts years later wind up broke because they, they got money, but they never got wisdom. They got dollars, but they never gained any sense. Successful people will tell you that there are no shortcuts. I agree with that to a certain extent, and I also disagree. I agree that there are no shortcuts to prosperity, as God's word says, but I do agree that I disagree in that. I think that there are shortcuts to wisdom. There are shortcuts to wisdom. God's word is full of wisdom from an all-knowing God who loves you and wants to bless you. So I wanna start the message and the series today with a promise that I'm gonna make to all of you. Never once in this series am I going to tell you what to do with your money. That's my promise to you. But... Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all its peoples belong to him. And in Job 41, 11, it says, everything under heaven is mine. 
So I'm not gonna tell you what to do with your money in this series, but I am gonna tell you, since it's a God's, everything under heaven is God's, I'm gonna talk to you about how we should handle God's money. Because if it were your money, I'd have no business telling you what you should do with it. But since we're talking about God's money, everything under heaven is God's. So many places in scripture where he says, everything in the world belongs to me. So as Christians who believe that the Bible is the authority for our lives, that means that I believe that everything I have belongs to him, including the money in my bank account. It all belongs to him. God owns it all, and scripture teaches us that he temporarily entrusts us with the responsibility to steward and manage his resources for his purposes. I am the owner of nothing and the steward of everything because everything I have has come from him and belongs to him. And so if you're not a Christian here today, first of all, let me say, I'm so glad you're here, but you need to know that you're off the hook with today's message. I don't expect people who don't believe in Jesus aren't following Jesus to live in a way that God's word would teach us. But my hope is that you're here for a reason and maybe it's because you're investigating faith or you know, you're curious to know more about Christianity or God or Jesus or the Bible. And our hope is that one day you will make a decision to surrender your life to Jesus and place your trust and faith in him. And I'm glad you're here today because if you make that decision someday, you're getting a head start to learn about how that decision will impact how you handle your finances once you become a follower of Jesus. So I wanna ask a question today to all of the Christians in the room. Do you believe in your heart that everything you have belongs to God? Like, do you really believe that everything you have, your, your house, your cars, all your possessions, the money in your bank account, all belong to him? I see some heads nodding yes, and we might say that we do, but a lot of us don't live like we do. We forget. We get confused by the name that's on the bank statement. It's mine, like the 18-month-old says. No, it's God's, and that has to be the key starting point to handling money God's way is remembering that it all comes from him and it all belongs to him. That is the foundation. That's the starting point for everything we will talk about today and in future weeks in this series. So today I wanna give you some very biblical and very practical tools on how to handle money God's way because God's word has some very specific instructions about how to do that. And the first step is that we need to give back to God. We need to put God first. Giving back to the one who gave us everything is how we put God first. Now, if I could be honest with you today from a PR standpoint, from a public relations and human perspective standpoint, I wish I could skip this. I wish I could warm you up with some other stuff first and talk about the blessings and all that and then come back to this after I've warmed you up, but I can't because we're not talking about how to handle money our way, we're talking about handle, how to handle money God's way. And for a Christian, there's only one place for God in the life of a believer. God's place is always first place. He's always first in every area of our lives. Proverbs three verses nine to 10 say that we are to honor the Lord with our wealth and with the first fruits of everything you produce. 
Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Not cheap wine, good wine. We are called to honor the Lord with our wealth, which means conversely that we can dishonor him with our wealth. So how do we honor him? Well, it says we bring him the first fruits of everything we produce. Now that word first fruits in the original language is the word reshith, which means first choice. It means uh, first beginning, best or choice part, choice part, which means like if you've got a hunk of beef, if you've got a side of cow or whatever, then God gets the filet mignon, mignon portion. If, you, if you've got a cake, God gets the first slice of cake. If you've got crops, God gets the pick of the crop. Why? Because he's God. We don't give him the leftovers, we give him choice, the best part. God's place is first place, and when you put him first, the promise attached to it is that your barns will overflow and your vats will brim over with good wine. You will always have food. There will always be provision for your needs. You'll be blessed in every other area of your life. When you honor God with the first fruits, it puts you in a position to be blessed. Now, the word tithe, if you don't know what that means, if you didn't grow up in church, you might hear that term a lot in church, but the word tithe just means the first tenth, the first 10%. Not just any tenth, it's the first 10%, which means before you pay any other bills, the tithe goes to God. Of everything you produce, it said, the first fruits of everything you produce. Now I'm gonna say something that might not be popular with some of you, but that means that it's 10%. If it's 10% of everything you produce, it's 10% of your gross income, not your net take-home pay. All right, we don't give God 10% of what's left over after the government has taken their fair share. All right, we give 10% of everything, God gets the choice part of everything you produce. Now we need to understand that not all giving is tithing either. So for the sake of simple math, if you make $1,000 a week, the tithe, the 10th, 10% is what? $100, right, that should be the tithe. But if you make $1,000 a week and you put $20 in the offering, that's not a tithe, that's a tip. By all means, tip your servers but don't tip your savior. He deserves so much better than that. He gave his life for you. He deserves the best part, the choice part. Tithing is worship. And Jesus made it very clear that when it comes to our attitude towards money, it will reveal to us whether God is our master or if money is. So it doesn't matter if you're a millionaire or you make minimum wage, everybody can tithe because it's an equal percentage. It's the first 10%. And we need to understand that, that Jesus isn't trying to get the money out of your pocket. He's trying to get the greed out of our hearts. Again, this is a heart issue. Well, I can't afford to do that. 10%, like, especially if you're newer to faith, this might come as a complete shock and surprise to you. And I get it. To think about reorienting your entire life and financial budget around bringing God 10% of everything before anything else gets paid is like, I can't afford to do that. And I understand that, I really do. But start somewhere and work up towards that because the truth is this, when it comes to giving, and this is true in anything that we spend money on, we can't really afford to give until we start giving. We can't afford to give until we start giving. But Jesus promises us that if we are generous and faithful with the first 10% of our income, 
He will bless and protect the rest. And as you've heard me say so many times, I'd much rather have 90% of my income with God's blessing on it than 100% of my money without God's blessing. See, giving isn't about our income level, it's about our faith level. And there are so many reasons to tithe, and we're gonna talk a lot about these in future weeks, but really quickly, let me give you four quick reasons that the Bible says we should tithe. And number one, we just mentioned, it's how we honor God with our wealth. Tithing teaches us to put God first. Number two, tithing results in supernatural blessing, including the supernatural preservation of your wealth. It says he rebukes the devourer on your behalf. There are supernatural blessings attached to tithing. Number three, it also builds your faith. When you start with the tithe and then you see how God responds to your faithfulness and your obedience, and you see the blessings that pour into your life in other areas, like your faith grows, it builds your faith. And then without apology, I'm gonna tell you right now that number four, tithing also provides for the work of God's church. When you return 10% to God's church, a lot gets done in the world. God told the people of Israel in Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, not a part of the tithe, the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. By a show of hands, how many of you here today would say that your lives have improved significantly for the better because of God's work in this house? So many hands all across this place, that's because people give. When people of God give, the work and word of God goes forth and lives are changed but not just here within our church. Lives are changed outside the walls of the church. People giving is how we fund all of our missions and outreach efforts locally and nationally and around the world. If you're newer to church, you may not know this, but we, take, we basically tithe off of everything that you tithe to the church. So we put 10% of every dollar that comes into this ministry, put it into a separate account, and that's what we use to fund all of our outreach efforts around the world. So lives are changed when people give. So if you handle money like the world, you're gonna get the natural results of that. But if you'll handle money God's way, you're gonna get supernatural results. I know this advice might sound weird, but it's okay to be weird, I think, because in our culture, like normal is broke in our culture. Here's a tip too when it comes to the tithe. Don't think about the tithe as paying a bill. All right, you don't, you don't pay the tithe. The tithe is not Christianity tax, okay? Your salvation is free. Jesus paid for your spiritual debt of sin. You're a child of God. When it comes to taxes, like you earn some income and the government takes their percentage and if you don't pay your taxes, you're going to jail. But tithing is different. Tithing is recognizing that everything I have comes from God and I'm willingly returning a portion of it to him to show him that he is first in my life out of an expression of gratitude for everything he's done for you. That's the tithe. It's saying, God, I could never repay you, but you have provided for me. You've given me everything I have and this is just my way of showing you that you are first in my life. God, I'm gonna praise you with my mouth and I'm gonna praise you with my bank account too. It's quiet up in here. Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation said there are three salvations, the heart, the mind, and the wallet. The wallet is usually the last thing that people surrender the control of to when it comes to following Jesus. So step one, give back to God. Step two, then we start to save money. God tells us over and over again throughout scriptures that we're supposed to save money. And a goal that we should all shoot for is to, to save roughly 10 to 15% 
of our income. Proverbs 21.10 says, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. If you are spending every dollar you make and not saving anything, scripture says it's foolish. Well, I can't afford to save. I get it, maybe that's, that's true. And if it is true for you, if you can't afford to save money, then you have two options, either make more money or spend less money. Either make more, get a second job, find a way to earn more money or spend less money. And I have found that most people don't have an income problem, most people have a spending problem. In preparing for this message, I heard this fascinating statistic. Check this out. The average adult in the United States of America spends $1,497 a month on non-essential items. That is $18,000 a year on things like restaurant meals, drinks, takeout, buying lunch, impulse purchases, ride sharing, personal grooming, subscription boxes, cable, online shopping, gym memberships, paid apps, TV or movie streaming services, music streaming services, coffee, and bottled water. $18,000 a year. Some of you guys got rich people luxuries, but you don't have a rich people paycheck. You're spending all this money and all these perks and all of these luxuries, and you're saying, well, I can't afford to save. I wonder why. I would say you can't afford not to save because you never know when you might lose your job, and some of you know what it's like to lose your job without any savings. It's a scary place to be. Can I be real here for a second? God never said it's the government's responsibility to give you money in times of crisis. Ooh, yeah, I just went there. <laughs> he did say it's your responsibility to save money though. Proverbs 6, 6 to 8 says, take a lesson from the ants. Yes, we can learn from insects. He says, learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. They're saving up and storing up food for the winter. So we harvest in the good times so that we have enough in the tough times. So I would encourage you to save up for an emergency fund. An emergency fund is for emergencies. A sale is not an emergency. All right, the first goal, if you don't have an emergency fund, is to save up $1,000 in a savings account somewhere that you don't touch unless it's for an emergency. Get up to $1,000, and then once you reach $1,000, then the goal should be to save up one month's worth of living expenses in a savings account. Then once you get there, the ultimate goal that most people should shoot for is to have three to nine months worth of living expenses saved up in a savings account. And more if you have, you know, kind of a seasonal job or your income varies. But three to nine months in an emergency fund. Because listen, if you have an emergency fund, you're still able to sleep good even in a recession. You might be able to get away with not saving during harvest time, but it's gonna come back to bite you when winter time comes. Wise people save, all right? So after you tithe and then you save, number three, then you cover your basic needs. Cover your basic needs. Well, what are our needs? Most people would know food, clothing, shelter, our needs. I would add to that utilities, transportation, and insurance. And I do think insurance is a need. The more people who depend on you, the more you need insurance. And you need home or renter's insurance. You need auto insurance. You need health insurance. And you need life insurance. 
And when it comes to life insurance, you should have a term insurance policy that's about 10 times your annual salary. So if you make $50,000 a year, you should have a half a million dollar, 30 year term life insurance policy. And a tip is get it while you're young. Insurance is so much cheaper when you're younger. And then as you get older and your income goes up, you can just layer on additional policies on top of that. Nobody likes paying for insurance, but it's one of those things where it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Cover your basic needs. And here's a hint. Learn how to distinguish between your needs and your wants. Some of you are financially stuck and you're struggling while you're paying for things you don't need. All right, you need food, clothing, and shelter. You don't need DoorDash and Netflix, right? You don't need new clubs every season, new clothes, new clubs, a boat, all this stuff. Some people say, well, I do need that stuff. That's, I need that to make me happy. Ask any rich person if the things they bought ever truly made them happy. Look at what the apostle Paul said in Philippians 4 when he says, not, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. And Paul wrote this from a jail cell. He wrote this in prison. He says, I know what it's like to have a lot, and I know what it's like to have a little. And I've learned the secret of being content with whatever I have. Listen, spiritual maturity is saying, I am so grateful for all of the good things and the blessings in my life, but if I lost everything tomorrow, I would still love Jesus and I'd still have joy. That's spiritual maturity. So I have homework for you. Because the thing is this, if you have Jesus, you have everything you need. But your homework is to this week determine what your baseline survival budget is. And what I mean by that is like, if you were to strip away all of the non-essential spending and just talk about what you need in a month's time to pay for your rent or your mortgage, your food, all of the stuff you need, what is that baseline survival? Because a lot of people don't know what their survival budget is, like what they need to make you know, net zero every month. So that's your homework this week so that you can at least start somewhere and know what that is. And then once you cover your basic needs, all right, step four then is to pay off and avoid debt. Pay off and avoid debt. There's a common thought in our culture today that debt is normal and that some debt is even good. And the truth we need to understand is that really no debt is good, but some is acceptable mortgage payment, reasonable car payment for most people is not a problem. The problem is when we go into debt for luxuries and vacations and things we don't need and can't afford. Back in the day, some of you are too young to remember this, but check this out, this is a novel idea. When somebody wanted something that they didn't have the money for, they would save up until they had enough money and then buy it. <laughs> Mind-blowing. In a day and age where credit cards rule the world and make it so easy to just impulse purchase and like, oh, I need that, I want that. Some people, some of you guys shop when you're sad and it's like retail therapy. I just need to go shop and I need to feel happy. So I just, I buy stuff, buy stuff. Some of you shop when you're happy and it's like in every emotion in between, you've got an excuse and a reason to go shopping. We should listen to Dora the Explorer more, more and say, swipe or no swiping. Proverbs 22, seven says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Some of you are slaves to credit card companies. Study after study has shown that debt has such a negative impact on our mental, physical, and emotional health as well. People with debt have higher levels of anxiety, depression, 
relational problems, high blood pressure, lower immunity, headaches, back pain, and ulcers. And some of you are thinking, yep, I understand because I've got all that. Some of you here today think about the amount of debt that you owe and you're just, you're kind of hopeless. You're, I'm never gonna be able to pay off all this debt. I'm, I'm here to tell you today that with hard work and good planning, you can be free. You can get out of debt. With the help of the Holy Spirit, there is freedom. You don't have to be a slave to the lenders. Romans 13, seven, Paul encourages us to pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Let no debt remain outstanding among you except the continuing debt to love one another. You know, there is an unbiblical yet politically popular idea in our culture today that says we shouldn't have to pay off all of our debt. Some people think, well, it's just not fair. I shouldn't have to pay off all of these student loans because like, it's a lot. I'm sorry, but nobody held a gun to your head and forced you to take out loans so you could get a degree in underwater basket weaving or French literature or whatever that degree is. If you took the loans out willingly, you should willingly pay them back. I'm stepping on some toes in here today. <laughs> Psalm 37, 21 says, the wicked borrow, but do not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. Now, let me clarify something. When it says the wicked borrow, but does not pay back, this isn't talking about when you can't pay your debt back. This is talking about when you back out on a commitment. When you borrow money and have no intention of ever paying it back. That's actually stealing. And the wicked borrow and don't pay it back. We should all do whatever we can to pay our debts back whenever possible. It's godly to pay off debt. It's also freeing, you guys. You know what I did this week? I sent in my last payment on my last credit card balance. For the first time in 15 years, my wife and I have zero credit card debts. We are debt free and it feels so good. It feels amazing to not be a slave to the lender. And that's what I want for all of you guys as well. It's freeing, it's godly to pay off debt. All right, so number one, we give back to God. Number two, we save, then we cover our basic needs, then we pay off our debt. The last few steps are really quick and can really happen in any particular order. But step five is to spend money on things you enjoy. Some of you are like, oh, this sermon just got a whole lot better. <laughs> Tell me more, pastor. No, some people's problem is that they spend too much money. And other people's problem, and I do believe it is a problem for some, is they don't spend enough. Like, it's great to save money. But listen, you can't take it with you when you die. Right? It's okay to spend money on things you enjoy. I find that some people, and especially with Christians, I find this to be true, they develop somewhat of a guilt complex when they think about buying something nice for themselves. But look at what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter three. He says, I've concluded that there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor. Why? For these are gifts from God. I love that that is in the Bible. 
Wisdom from Solomon says it's okay for us to enjoy the fruits of our labor because that is a gift from God to us. Now, there's a couple of false teachings out there in the church that I wanna tell you guys about today and just expose them for what they are. One well-known false teaching is the prosperity gospel. Some of you have heard that term before. The prosperity gospel says that God wants all of his children to be rich, that all Christians should be rich, and if you're not rich, then there's something wrong with you. The prosperity gospel teaches that if you give God money, he gives you more money in return. I'm gonna say right now that is not biblical. It's a false teaching. But on the other end of the spectrum is another false teaching called the poverty gospel that says money is evil. And it's wrong to spend money on nice things when there are starving kids in Africa. That's also not biblical. And by the way, money is not evil. The scripture says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But money is not evil. What does the Bible actually say? Well, as we're learning that if you're handling money God's way, you're honoring him with the first fruits, you're saving, you're living within your means, you're paying off debt, then it's okay to enjoy the fruits of your labor, which means if you can afford the luxury car, go ahead and drive it. If you can afford the expensive steak, go ahead and eat it and enjoy it. If you can afford the designer clothes, go ahead and wear them. When you handle money God's way in the right order, then it's okay to enjoy the fruits of your labor. That is a gift from God to you. So that's the balanced biblical teaching on that. Step six then is to build wealth by investing. When you put God first, you experience his blessing, you save up some, you live on a budget within your means, you're gonna wind up with extra money. And some of you are like, that's the thing? Yeah, some people have extra money. And when you have extra money, you can put your money to work for you. How many of you uh, have ever watched Shark Tank before? I love that show, Shark Tank. Well, one of the sharks on the show, Kevin O'Leary, AKA Mr. Wonderful, has a great saying when it comes to this. He says, I like to think of my dollars as soldiers in a war. I send them out to battle with instructions to go capture other dollars and make them prisoners and bring them back to me. I love that. Like we can make our money work for us. And here's the thing, we need to realize you don't have to make a lot of money to make a lot of money. It just takes wisdom and time. It takes hard work and good planning. Albert Einstein says, Compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it, earns it, and he who doesn't, pays it. Some of you are earning it, others of you are paying it. For example, and listen, I know we're getting into some advanced stuff and some of you are not yet at the point in your financial journey where you can invest, but it's good to learn this now so that you, when you reach that point, you know what to do. But as an example, if you start investing $200 a month at 25 years old and earn 10% interest a year on average, by the time you're 67 years old, you will have put away $100,000, but it will have grown into $1.5 million because of compound interest. And there's different ways that you can do that, but one of the best ways is to use tax-sheltered retirement accounts like a 401k or a Roth IRA, but invest in passive stock market index fund that spreads your money out across dozens or hundreds of different companies. And even Solomon would agree with that in Ecclesiastes 11 when he says, put part of your investment into seven or even into eight ventures for you don't know what disaster might come upon the land. He's basically saying it's not wise to put all of your investment in one company or one stock. 
I love that the Bible tells us to diversify our investments. I think that's pretty cool. So historically, a good S&P 500 index fund will earn 8 to 10% interest a year. And so if you just invest a little bit from, from each paycheck and then leave it there, don't touch it, let it grow. Don't freak out. Don't sell when the headlines get scary. When all of the financial experts are saying, sell, 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 it's a crash, blah, blah, blah. No, I think Christians have an advantage when it comes to investing because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. When everyone else is freaking out, we can just sit back and say, no, I trust God. He's got this, he's in control. And we need to understand that time in the market is better than trying to time the market. So just put it in there, leave it there, let it grow. Using your wealth to build wealth is honoring to God. Jesus actually told a parable that illustrates this principle. Some of you know the parable I'm talking about where there were three different servants who earned different amounts of, or were given different amounts of the master's wealth. And the first two servants went and invested what they were given and doubled their money. And the master says to them, well done, you've been faithful with little, I'll give you more, like good job. The third servant though went and buried the money that he was given in the dirt. And the master rebuked him and said, you wicked servant, I entrusted you with my money. The very least you should have done was put it in the bank so that I could earn a little bit of interest. The moral of the story that Jesus is teaching with that parable is that God wants us to make the most of everything that he has given us, including money, including money. Proverbs 13, 22 says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Man, I would love to do that one day. I really would. I wouldn't want to leave an inheritance to their grandchildren. And I got to be honest with you, right now from where I stand, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do that, but maybe you grew up poor and you're thinking, you know what? I'd never be able to do that. But as a follower of Jesus, with the wisdom you can get from God's word and with the help of the Holy Spirit, with a lot of hard work and good planning, you can leave an inheritance to your grandchildren who will rise and call you blessed one day. I want that for you as much as I want that for me. Listen, this isn't only financial, though. When it talks about leaving an inheritance, this can be a spiritual inheritance too. When you teach your children truth and you deposit God's word like spiritual gold into the hearts of your grandchildren, when you invest in eternal things, you'll get an eternal return on your investment. Invest in the kingdom where lives and family legacies are being changed. You've heard me say many times in the past, I'd rather invest in heaven for things I can't lose rather than spend money on earth for things that I can't keep. And I wanna thank those of you who are doing just this. You're investing in eternity into our legacy campaign, which has been going on for the last year and a half, which has made the building that we are sitting in possible. People who are giving above and beyond their tithe so that we could build a larger space to have more people come and hear the life-changing, life-saving message of Jesus Christ and are finding hope and salvation and freedom in him. Marriages are being restored. Drug addicts are being set free because people are investing in eternity. Thank you to those of you who give to invest in God's kingdom. And if you made a pledge to phase two of legacy, we wanna ask you to continue honoring that pledge. There's still a lot of work to do in the building and around the building. 
Building costs have skyrocketed in the last year. So there have been budget overruns. And so if you made a pledge, please honor that pledge. But thank you to every person who's given to Legacy to make it possible for us to continue growing and reaching more people with the gospel. Step seven then is to give generously. Give generously. When you handle money God's way and you save and you stay out of debt, you make your money work for you, not only will you be able to enjoy the fruit of that and not only will your children's children benefit from that, but then you'll have the opportunity to live in a way where you can be ridiculously, sacrificially generous to others. Where when you see needs around you and you, you just meet it, there's no thought, like you're able to just, yes, I'm gonna give generously whenever I have opportunity to. Proverbs 11:25 says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that you should be generous once you're rich. It says when you're generous, then God will prosper you. That when you refresh others, then you'll be refreshed. See, God gives more to the people who know what the more is for. God doesn't bless you to increase your standard of living. He blesses you to increase your standard of giving. We are blessed to be a blessing. Acts 20, 35, Paul says this. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus who said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Some of you thought that came from a fortune cookie. No, that was actually Jesus who said that. My question to you is, do you really believe that though? And my conclusion is that you can't really believe it until you live it. You can't believe it until you first experience it, until you give to someone generously. You'll never know that you actually are happier and more blessed when you're giving than you are when you're receiving something from others. You can't believe it until you live it. And here's my notice as we get ready to close here that the seven steps I gave you, the Christian experience with finances begins and ends with giving. We give back to God with the first fruits, with the tithe, and then we give generously to others at the end. Begins and ends with giving. Why is that? That's really kind of a picture of the Christian life that was established by our founder and savior, Jesus Christ, the pattern he left for us. Like we have eternal life because God so loved the world, he what? He gave his one and only son and Jesus gave his life so that we could be forgiven of our spiritual debt and have our slate wiped clean. And then at the end, he gives us eternal life so that we can spend eternity with him and all of God's people forever. He gives us new life, he gives us eternal life, begins and ends with giving and in between, he gives us the opportunity to use his kingdom resources for his purposes to make a difference in the lives of people around us. The Christian life begins and ends with giving because that's the pattern that Jesus left for us. It's blessing upon blessing upon blessing so that we can give and give and give. This is what we do. We're blessed to be a blessing. We live to give with generosity because that's what Jesus did for us. This is what we do as followers of Jesus because this is what he did for us. Let me pray for you today. Lord, I just thank you for the wisdom of your word. Lord, I thank you that you, you're not trying to get the money out of our pockets. You're trying to get the greed out of our hearts. And this morning, God, for those that 
as soon as they heard about the subject matter and of the sermon, put up some defenses and said, you know, I'm not gonna receive this. This is just another sermon, another church that is just trying to get into my pocketbook. Lord, I pray that you would just tear down their defenses and help them to see your heart for them, that you're really after their heart, that you wanna be first place in their lives so that they can experience the fullness of your blessings in every area of their lives. But Lord, this is a scary thing for many people here today who have been living their whole lives under one set of principles and one set of operating guidelines that has led them into a place where they're in debt and they're in despair. And so God, I pray that you would bring hope to those who are in that situation right now to realize that if they will just start handling money your way, that there are supernatural blessings that can't be comprehended in the natural, Lord. They have to be received by faith. Lord, that you want to see people set free from the slavery of debt. In fact, if I could just, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, ask a couple questions. The first one is to some Christians in the room who would say, you know what? If I'm being honest, I've not handled my finances God's way but I want to, I need the Holy Spirit's help. If that's you here today, would you just raise your hand and say, yeah, I wanna, I wanna live life God's way. I wanna handle his finances his way. Hands up all over the room. If you're watching online, I just pray over every person, every son and daughter of yours, God, who has a heart to follow you in every area of their lives. God, would you give them the faith to trust you? The faith to trust and believe that you are who you say you are and you will do what you said you will do. Lord, give them grace to make the hard decisions, to cut up the credit cards. Give them the strength and the motivation, God, to reprioritize some things in their lives, to put you first so that you can bless and protect the rest. And even in a series on money, I can't help but wonder if there's people in the room here today who have never made the decision to fully surrender their lives to Jesus. Maybe you grew up in church, maybe, maybe you didn't, but, and you stayed away because of the Christians that you knew weren't anything like you wanted to be like, but something has you here today, and I can't help but wonder is as you're hearing that this whole thing about finances is really just a picture of our whole lives being reflected by Jesus giving himself for us and then giving us eternal life but to receive that eternal life, you've got to acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of a savior. And it says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be adopted into God's family. Your name will be recorded in the book of life. You will spend eternity with him. And if that's you here today, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, say, yeah, that's me. Would you raise your hand and say, I want to start a relationship with Jesus today. I wanna know that he's my father, that I'm his son, that I'm his daughter, that I'll get to spend eternity with him. Father, I just pray that you would lead every person into a relationship with you. Draw them closer to you, Jesus. Would help us to live this. And I, I thank you in advance for the fruit that will come as people begin to put these principles into effect. Lord, the lives that will be changed, the way our community around us will be changed when we start handling our finances your way. God, we thank you for this. Let these truths sink deep into our heart. 
let it take root. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, I'm excited to go on this journey with you. I'm not sure how many of you are as excited as me to go on this journey and how many of you will be back next week, but I really hope that you will come back to, as we continue to learn more about what God's word has to say about how to handle money his way. Before I release you guys, I wanna go ahead and dismiss the Dream Team members right now to just go ahead and get into position so they're ready to receive you on your way out. And while they are getting into position, if I could just keep your attention for just a few more minutes. At this point, we're going to give you the opportunity to give your weekly tithes and offerings. And we moved this part of the service to the end, not to manipulate you, but we wanted you to see that this is worship, that when we give, it's part of worship. It's not just some perfunctory thing that we do in this set point of the service every week where we do worship and then we welcome people and then we thank people who give and then we give a few announcements and then we preach a message and you go home. We moved it to the end so that you could hear what God's word says about why we give and the principle and the heart behind it. And so if you gave, came ready to give today, then you can do so with the envelopes that are in the seat back pockets in front of you and drop those in the black boxes affixed to the wall in the back to my church family online and even those in the room who prefer to give electronically. You can always use the Life Church Buffalo app, which is the easiest way to give. But thank you for honoring the Lord with your wealth by bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there can be food in his house. Spiritual food in the house matters and lives are changed when people give. But in addition to the tithe today, we're gonna receive a special offering as well in addition to that. Every once in a while, we don't do this often, but every once in a while when there's a special need or a project that arises that we wanna be able to give towards and give you the opportunity to contribute towards, we make that available to you. We did this several months ago, if you remember, when Texas had that big winter storm and there were millions of people without power. We sent $5,000 to a church in Texas so they could help people who were kind of going through that. But today we're going to receive a special missions and outreach offering in partnership with HBI, who is a ministry partner of ours in India. And I'm sure many of you have heard, but India right now is facing the world's worst wave of coronavirus cases since the pandemic hit over a year and a half ago. It's being reported that roughly 400,000 new cases are being reported every single day and 3,500 to 4,000 deaths every single day. Two of those deaths are pastors village church planters that we support financially on a monthly basis out of our missions budget. We support HBI every month to pay for the training and support of 10 village church planters to evangelize the remotest parts of India. Two of them lost their lives last week and the wife of another one died. And so in response to that, HBI is putting together preventative care packages that cost $25 a piece. In these packages, these boxes will be masks, sanitizer, uh, an inhaler, some medicine, vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, some herbal medicine, other things like that. $25 to get in front of one person or one family the supplies they need to help the people as they're fighting this pandemic. Also in that box will be pamphlets written in English and the regional languages that will explain like proper health and sanitary exercises as well as breathing exercises for people. And then there'll be a sticker on every box with a number for a prayer line so that anyone who needs or wants prayer can call HBI and receive prayer. 
So it's $25 a box, and we're asking everyone to consider giving at least that towards this so that we can send money and help to these people who are, who are trying to stem the tide and slow the spread of this virus as it's you know, just rampaging India right now. We can make a difference one life at a time. So I just want to thank you for being a part of that. And if you want to give towards India COVID relief, if you do it uh, with the envelope, then just make sure you write India COVID relief in the other line on the envelope. And if you give online or with the app, just make sure you select the fund India COVID relief. Change it from general fund and select India COVID relief. And again, this is above and beyond your tithe, which belongs to the Lord first. This is an offering given just in response to the need that's in front of us. So with that being said, I want to just remind you guys that Serve Day is this coming Saturday. There's still opportunities to serve. We've got a can drive coming up. Hopefully you still have your cans that you can return. If you uh, don't have a Serve shirt from the last time we did Serve Day, you can pick that up in the foyer as well on your way out. And then we have baptisms. That's right. You can tell we get excited around here about baptisms. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go ahead and dismiss the service in a second here. I want to encourage all of you who have kids to go to Kids Life. Check your kids out. Bring them back. If you're at all able to stay, please stay. Baptism is something that is super important for every person who's made an inward decision to place their faith in Jesus, to publicly declare in front of their church family that Jesus is Lord of their lives. This is meant to be a party and a celebration. We would love all of you, even if you're not getting baptized, to just support and celebrate with those who are taking their next step of faith. And if I could say this to those of you who haven't been baptized, if you're a follower of Jesus, scripture's clear that baptism is everyone's next step after they get saved. And so if you didn't come prepared for that, you need to know if you've been coming here for a while, we're always prepared for you no matter what. So if you wanna get baptized today, I would encourage you to just head out these doors in the first room on your right, the Connection Center. We've got people in there with bags of shorts, underwear, baptism t-shirt. You could change into it, get baptized, then change into your dry clothes. There should be nothing that will keep you from taking that step if you feel that that's what you need to do in obedience to the Lord. So I'm excited to celebrate with my church family in just a few minutes. Let's say 10 minutes, 12.30, come back in here, give you time to go to the bathroom, get your kids, come back, let's celebrate to my church family at home. I love you guys. If you're close by and you wanna drive here, we'd love to have you celebrate with us. I love you, church. We'll start baptisms in 10 minutes.